Welcome to the Church of Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. Well, good morning. How are you doing today? What a day it is out there. Isn't it just awesome? Kind of reminds you why you want to live here. Uh, I had a great week. You know, last weekend I, I was off. You know, Dave was here teaching her. He did a great job. But uh, it was funny because uh, I hadn't been, had kind of, kind of been away for a long time. So I woke up on Saturday morning and I thought, you know what? This would be a great day to ride to San Francisco. Right. And, and so... Uh, <laughs> So I woke up, I took off at 8 o'clock in the morning, uh, got on my bike, uh, motorcycle, uh, and, and uh, uh, rode, to, rode to San Francisco on the coast route the whole way, just this awesome, uh, stopped in Half Moon Bay, hotwired a hotel uh, for the night at San Francisco, and then I had to be back at 2 o'clock for Mother's Day, because you don't mess with Mother's Day, and uh, rode on back, but it was just great, and uh, what, a, what a great state we live in. And uh, awesome, awesome place to be. So I'm glad you're here. Uh, my name's Mike. I'm one of the pastors here uh, at Rocky Peak. If this is your very first time, a special welcome to you. I know we got a lot of uh, new people. Last time we had a Next Step dessert at our house, and uh, the, the room was full of people. Uh, kind of most people have been here like, well, we've been here two weeks. We've been here two weeks, and so you know, a lot of you are new. I just want to welcome you, and uh, 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 glad you're here. But we're going to be going into our time of teaching right now. And so inside of the program is a message note sheet. So if you're brand new, you'll definitely want to pull that out. Out, uh, you'll be, because help follow along. And then if you guys are set, I'm ready to go. You guys ready? Yes. All right, let's pray. God, we're just so thankful for what you're doing here at our church and the way you're kind of waking us up and, and calling us into this new life that you've called us to, this new creation, uh, this whole new life experience that comes when we come to Christ. And so we pray that today, as we talk about this new creation event, this supernatural event that happens when we give our life to Christ, and then what it means to walk in the power, the reality of the new creation, we pray you give us eyes to see, uh, ears to hear what your spirit would say to us, how it applies to our life today. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, today we're uh, continuing this series. We've been in a few weeks now called The Power to Change. And so if you're brand new, I always like to stop for just a moment or two, kind of, kind of bring you up to speed. Uh, this series is based on a study of a letter from a, a man we call the Apostle Paul to a church that he'd started about five years before in the southern tip of Greece. The city's still there today, major metropolitan seaport at the time. The name of the city is Corinth. And so uh, he, he, uh, he's writing this letter about five years after he starts the church. He's written a couple letters that we have uh, that have gone back and forth. And so we, we have uh, this letter is called the letter of 2 Corinthians. And so if you've been here in this series, you know that, that what we're talking about is that what Paul says is that, when we, that with, the, with the coming of Jesus Christ, with his death, his life, his death, his resurrection, that we've entered into a whole new era of human history where we're now able to enter into a relationship with God that's, that's new, that's fresh, that's deeply personal. Paul calls it, it's kind of using Old Testament language, he calls it the new covenant, this new formal relationship with God through Christ. And so we've been studying what, what does that mean? What, what does it happen when we enter into covenant with God through Christ? And today, Paul wants to take the next step of that journey, and, and he's going to compare coming to Jesus as a creation of it. Like just, just like there was a creation of the world where God out of nothing created it, that when Christ comes into our life, it's like a creation event. Uh, there was an old fallen creation. We rebelled against God, but now in Christ, he has recreates us uh, individually. So it's like the powers of the coming age, the new world that's coming when Jesus comes back, that the powers invade present time, and, and we are supernaturally changed 
change uh, from the inside out, and he calls it the new creation. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to be talking about this new creation. What does it mean in our lives? What are the implications? What does it look like to live as people who are participating in the power of the new creation? So if you have your Bible, turn with me to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to pick it up at verse 11. And what I'd like to do is just start by setting it up uh, by where we were the last couple of weeks. So if you're here the last couple of weeks, one of the things we've learned is that through the death and resurrection of Christ, we now know that the next life is real, it's physical, it's tangible, it's not going not, to sit on clouds with harps, that through Jesus we know that just like he has this new body, we will have a new body. There's going to be a new heaven, a new earth. Last week we were here, that's what uh, Dave was uh, kind of walking you through that passage in 2 Corinthians 5. And at the end of that passage, Paul says, so at the end of time, uh, we will all stand before Jesus. Every person in the, from the history of the world will stand before their creator, who is Jesus, and they will stand before, and we will all go before him one-on-one to give an account for our life. Now, if that doesn't put the fear of God in you, uh, I don't know what was, what will. And so today, Paul says, so, so knowing the fear of God, understanding that this is where history is headed, this is where each of our personal history is headed, one day we'll stand before Jesus. He says, understanding that, he says, that's what motivates him as an apostle to persuade people to come to Christ and receive this incredible offer of amnesty and forgiveness and this new life because if we get there, we haven't made the decision or we haven't followed Christ, uh, that we will be in big trouble. And so he starts at verse 11 and uh, he says, so since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We, we understand what it is to stand before him. He says, we try to persuade men. In other words, as, as apostles, as we're trying to persuade the world, share the message of Jesus so that people are ready when that day comes. And he says, what we are is plain to God. In other words, our motives, uh, what's driving us, it's, it's plain to God. It's clear before God. He says, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. So as we go through this letter of 2 Corinthians, remember the backdrop of this whole letter every week is that these new teachers have come into town, a different Jesus, a different gospel, very gifted speakers. They're criticizing Paul. They're calling into question his integrity, his motives. And so that's never far from the story in 2 Corinthians. And so what he's saying here is, as apostles, this is what is motivating us to persuade people because of the reality of that judgment day. He says, it's very clear to God what's driving us. I hope it's clear to your hearts as well. And then he says in verse uh, 12, we are not trying to commend ourselves to you again. And of course, that's the claim of these false teachers, that Paul is just trying to boast and kind of push and kind of build himself up, uh, you know, as he's being forced to kind of defend himself because of their critique. He says, that's not what we're doing. We're not trying to commend ourselves, but we're giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what's in the heart. And so these new teachers have come. Uh, they're very gifted. They're, they're claiming amazing spiritual experiences. They're bringing a new message. And there are many in the church of Corinth who are really taken with them. Are really, they, they're very impressive on the outside. And, he, and Paul says the reason that we're kind of defending ourselves is to give you ammunition to stand up to these people that are taking pride in what you see on the outside, but not what's on the inside, the heart, the character, the calling. And then he says something that's kind of strange. He says, if we're out of our mind 
uh, it's for the sake of God. And if we're in our right mind, it's for the sake of you. So there seems to be an accusation coming that Paul is out of his mind, right? Now, uh, it, it, this, this could be a couple ways to take this. And, and theologians, scholars, there's a couple different, we're not really sure exactly what he's talking about. This is one of those phrases that, you know, Paul's writing to people that they have a shared experience. So he can say things like that, and they know exactly what he means by out of your mind. They, they know what the accusation is and how he's defending it, right? We don't. We're not there hearing both sides of the conversation. So there's a couple of major theories of what, what he's talking about here. One is that these false teachers are just criticizing Paul for being too intense. Like, I don't know, like, when you came to Christ, but... Many times when someone comes to Christ, those around him, especially who are not believers, are going to, to accuse you of being out of your mind, right? That they're, they're gonna, you're, hey, a little bit of religion's okay, but let's not take, let's not do this whole seriously. You don't need, like, like a little bit, it goes a long way, so it's fine that you kind of believe in Jesus, but you know, like don't, don't like, you're, hey, you're going, this is way too much. You're taking the Bible too literally or whatever. And so it, maybe it's this sort of criticism that Paul, he's like out of his mind, like he's getting beat up, he's getting stoned, he's getting, he's getting arrested, he's getting flogged, and he's so intense, he's so crazy, uh, you know, he's just out of his mind. He's like, you shouldn't be listening. He's kind of a crazy guy. It may be that, okay? But on the other hand, it may be something totally different. We're going to learn in chapter 12 that one of the claims of these new teachers is that they have these amazing spiritual, supernatural, kind of mystical, ecstatic, kind of like altered consciousness type experiences with God, okay, visions, dreams, and stuff like that. And they seem to be basing their authority on them. Hey, you should be listening to us because we've had these, amazing, we've had these encounters with God and so on. And so the interesting thing is that Paul has had these experiences. In fact, in chapter 12, he will describe an experience. It's so intense, he's not sure if he's in the body or he's out of the body. So we'll get there. But when Paul has these experiences, he doesn't brag about them. He doesn't talk about them because he doesn't want to base his ministry on these experiences. He wants to base them on Jesus. So it may be that what he's saying is, if I'm out of my mind in the sense of having supernatural experiences, it's for God. It's not for you. It's for my relationship with God. And so, but so, so either way, uh, but what he's saying is, if I'm out of my mind, whether it means I'm so passionate about God or whether it means I have these supernatural experiences that I don't tell you about. Either way, he says, it's for, for God. That's what drives me. And he says, if in my right mind, which whether he means I tone it down when I'm working with you, or whether it means that I don't share these supernatural experiences, either way, what, what, what he's saying is that uh, it, it's, it's to help you grow. And so I think you get an insight into who Paul is here that, that he says the two driving forces in his life uh, are, are number one, his passion for God, to please God, and number two, his love for the people that he's leading. And, and that's how he balances his ministry. I'm all in for God. I'll, I'll do whatever it takes to reach people. And of course, that should be for all of us what drives us, right? So then in verse 14, then he goes on and he talks about what does drive him. And he says, for Christ's love compels us. This is, this is the driving force, Christ's love. Now, in the Greek, what it literally says is the love of Christ compels us. And that could mean Christ's love for us, like the love of Christ you know, that for us and for other people drives us in our ministry. 
It could mean the love of Christ, meaning our love for Christ. The love of Christ in our life drives us. Or it could be some combination. But what he wants them to catch is what, what drives him in his ministry is not his personal fame, it's not his power, but it's the love of Christ that he's experienced and his love that he has for Christ. He says, so for the love of Christ compels us because we're convinced that one died for all. So who's that? Who's the one? Jesus, good. Saturday night wasn't so quick on that. All right. So, um, okay, so for Christ, because we're convinced that one died for all, and therefore all what? Okay, a little weak. Therefore all what? Died. Okay, so one died for all, therefore part of the package deal is that therefore all died. Okay, so we're going to talk about this today. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Often what we have taught is to be a follower of Jesus is to be someone who believes that Jesus died for us. And that is true. But it's only half of the story. The other half of the story is the reason that Jesus died for you is so that you can die to yourself. Okay? Because here's the thing. We are the fallen race. We are the rebellious race. We have rebelled against our creator. We were created to love God passionately and love people as ourselves. That's what we were created to be. When we rebelled against God, uh, the lights went out on us spiritually, and we became a race that we no longer love, live for God. We live for ourselves, and we no longer love others. We use others, all right? So when Jesus came to rescue us, he didn't just die to get us off the hook, okay? Die for our sins. He died to change us, right? It wasn't like he, he came and said, I'm going to die for you so that you can be forgiven, but I'm going to leave you totally screwed up. <laughs> Are you with me? Totally self-absorbed, living for yourself, fallen people. He said, no, no, I'm going to die for you, first of all, so you can be forgiven and restored to relationship. But the second reason I'm dying is to transform you to change you. You could be the people you're created to be. You would no longer live for yourself, self-absorbed lives, but you'd be restored to the people of great freedom. You're living with passion for God, living with love for others. That's why he died. So he says in verse 14, he says, so he died for all. Why did Jesus die? Uh, so that, uh, well, let's pick up 15. He died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves. So why did Jesus die for you? So you could no longer live for yourself. He's going to set you free from that. And, and so, uh, but for him who died for, for them and was raised again. So, so the gospel, Jesus dies for us so that we are forgiven and so that we are recreated. And then that's going to, what he's going to talk about in just a second. And so verse 16, he says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Now this is fascinating. Because what Paul is about to say is that when we come to a relationship with Christ, it not only changes our vertical relationship with God, it changes our horizontal relationship with others. It changes the way we look at other people, especially people who have come to Christ. We have a whole whole new way of looking at people. Now, his best case study is Jesus himself. He says, I don't know how you 
uh, saw Jesus before you came to Christ. Like, like, so for us today, if you're a follower of Jesus uh, today, I don't know how you've seen Jesus before you came to Christ. Like, like maybe you saw him as a great moral teacher. Maybe you saw him as a tremendous spiritual leader. Maybe you saw him as a fraud. Uh, for the Apostle Paul, Jesus, uh, Paul saw Jesus as a deluded uh, Palestinian peasant who was making blasphemous claims and, and, and needed to be destroyed, this movement, at all costs. That's how Paul saw him. So before we come to Jesus, we have a, what Paul calls a worldly point of view, a natural point of view. We see Jesus a certain way. Of course, after we come to Jesus, the veil is removed, and, and so we see Jesus as the Lord and King of the universe, and our eyes are open to see who Jesus is. But catch this, when you come to Christ, your eyes are, begin to be open to see who other people are too. And so what happens is that when we come to Christ, it's like the price tags change in our life. So in other words, like, like if you look at this world today, that this world, our culture, it values certain people more than other people, right? Like beautiful people are valued more than, uh, than non-beautiful. That, that's why on the cover of People magazine, you don't have normal people, Right? <laughs> You don't have people, you have celebrities, right? Because as a culture, we value the beautiful over the not so beautiful. We value the brilliant over the less than brilliant. We value the gifted over the less gifted. We value the rich over the poor. We, we, you see what I'm saying? That we, we value certain races over other races. This is how the world has worked. It's how the world has always worked. Okay, every Every generation throughout man, it's always worked with us. Certain people are valued more. And so what we do is we go through life and we put price tags on people. So if you're wealthy, if you're gifted, if you're successful, we put a high price tag. You're valuable, right? If, if someone is poor, they're not very gifted, whatever the issue is, we put a small price tag on them. This is how culture works. This is how the world works. And what Paul says is when we come to Jesus, that whole breaks because we realize that all these old ways that we have valued people were all old creation ways of measuring. And that now that we've come to Christ, we've become sons and daughters of the living King. And, and what, what we are now does not yet appear, but we realize that we are amazing, that we are made at the core. We're made. I, like, I like the way C.S. Lewis puts it. He says that if we could see, like if we could look, a fellow believer, if we could see who they truly are and as they will be, we would be tempted to bow down and worship them, right? So, so when someone comes to Christ, there is this new creation, and, cha and it changes everything. Not just the way that we look at others, it, I mean, the way we look at God or the way we look at ourselves, it changes the way we look at others. Now, the reason Paul's bringing this up is because this was what was wrong in Corinth, is that though, though they'd come to Christ, they were not living out new creation realities, they were still measuring people the same old way. They were measuring the, you know, the wise over the, valuing the wise over the, the sophisticated over the non-sophisticated, the rich over the poor. And, and so in Paul's case, these new teachers had come into town and because they had this false value system that people do, 
Well, what happens is, is they're starting to listen to these new teachers because they're very gifted speakers. They're very successful in their culture, and they're turning against Paul and the true gospel because, look, Paul, you're nobody. You're always being arrested. You're not respected. You're not a gifted speaker. And, and in Corinth, uh, uh, public speaking was like one of the major forms of entertainment. And, and so what they're doing is they're taking their old value system and they're applying it to their church and to Paul, and it's destroying their church, okay? So that's the issue. So he says in verse 16, so from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we once looked at him in this way, but we do so no longer. So therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they've stepped into relationship with Jesus, um, then he is a what? a new creation. And so because it's a new creation, we value people differently. You're not the same person that you were before. So the old is gone and the new has come. And so what Paul's going to say is that when someone comes to Christ, it's like a, a new creation event in their life. Just like there was a, a creation of the world, an old creation, there is, there is a, now a new creation, a supernatural event happens in this person's life. And so, so if you've been here the last few weeks, you know this, we've been talking about that when Jesus comes back, because of his death and resurrection, he has the right to restore all of creation. And so he's going to recreate all of creation. There will be a new heavens and a new what? New earth. And so there's this new creation, we'll get new bodies, and what Paul is saying is, but when someone comes to Jesus, uh, they step into the reality of that coming age, the power here and now, that on the inside there is a change, they are newly created. So we'll talk more about that in just a minute. But, but so, so, so the passage goes like this, Paul is being criticized for his motives in ministry, and he says, no, no, what, what motivates me is a couple things. What motivates me is knowing that every person is gonna go one-on-one -on -one with Jesus, and I wanna do everything I can to persuade people to get ready for that day. And what motivates me is this amazing love of Christ that drives me, because what I know is through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we could all be recreated and a new community can be formed where we have a new kind of relationship. That's what motivates me. Okay, so that's the flow. Now, in the time that we have today, what I wanna do is just a couple things. Number one, I want to talk about this new creation reality. What happens when a person comes to Jesus? What are the changes that happen uh, at a core level of who we are, the way we look at life? And we want to unpack it because it's a very powerful package for us of what it means to be a follower of Jesus and what it means to live in community here together in Rocky Peak, the kind of community that God wants to create here at Rocky Peak. And then, and then second, I want to come back at the end and ask you a couple specific questions about how you're living out this reality of new creation uh, in your own personal life, all right? So there in your note sheet is a section called the, the, the new creation, the start of something new. Just three, three points I want to make that flow out of this passage. Number one, that th this is the one that's kind of the most obvious that Paul talks about, but the, the new creation creates a new person. Okay, that, that when you come to Christ, when you experience a new creation, it creates a new person. Now, when, if you were old enough uh, if you were older when you came to Christ, maybe you don't remember this if you were very young, but if you were older when you came to Christ, you know this, right? That the moment you came to Jesus, that changes began to happen at the core. You were like a different person. People around you couldn't figure it out. They were trying to, you were trying to figure it out. Uh, I've been talking with someone recently, just come to, I think it's either in Prosper, or coming to Christ, and everything's changing for her. And she's like, this is so confusing. What's up is down, and what's down is up. And it's like she, she's trying to get her hands around that. 
Uh, I, I talked to a, a, a young, uh, last time we had a next step dessert at our house and there was a, a college student there and she was saying, you know, Mike, uh, you, you talk about how the veil is removed from our eyes when you come to Jesus and, and it wasn't me, it was really Paul, but close enough. Okay. So, um, <laughs> It's Paul through me. All right. So, so, uh, so the veil is, is, is removed. And she said, you know, for me, when I came to Jesus, it wasn't like a veil being removed. It was like glass being shattered. And so she said, you know, she was an atheist. Uh, she's she's uh, uh, her friend of hers. She's known. She's very young. One night shares Jesus with her. And in that moment, she goes from atheist to Christ follower. It's like that the, the glass is shattered, right? And so, so what Paul is saying is that when a person comes to Christ, it is a supernatural event, right? That's why I've, I've called this whole section the New Covenant, the start of something new, and then earlier the, the supernatural event because it's a supernatural event, much like creation. Now, for those of you who've been with us in this series, about three weeks ago, Paul began to talk about this. You may remember this. Back in 1 Corinthians 4, he, he talked about the veil. When someone comes to Jesus, the veil is removed. You remember that? But in, first, in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6, he compared someone coming to Christ as the light being turned on, uh, like, just like in creation, the first day of creation when God said, let there be light. So if you remember, first, uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, the one who said, let light shine out of darkness, which was a reference to Genesis 1, has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And so he's already kind of hinted at this, that when someone comes to Christ, it's like a creation event. But here today, he's going to take it to a whole new level, and he just comes flat out and says it. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, let's look at it again. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? A new creation. It's like we were once part of the old creation. When you come to Jesus, you have begun to experience the power of the new creation. Right, so, so it doesn't mean that, that we don't have still a pull to the dark side. We'll talk about that later. We do. But, but at the core of your being, you've been changed. So let's step back and see what we've learned in this series. We've talked in this new series that when we enter into covenant with God, based on Jeremiah 31, remember that, that concept? We enter into Jer- There's three things we receive. Remember, we receive the forgiveness of sins. We receive a new firsthand knowledge of God. We receive power to change, to become like Christ. It's all through the power of the Holy Spirit. But here's what Paul is saying today, that when someone comes to Christ, not only does all that happen, but at the core of your being, catch this, at the deepest part of you, the part of you that's gonna live forever, that part of you, that you have been changed supernaturally at the core that you are a new person. Now, you may not experience all the reality of that, right away, but those initial changes you begin to experience are the first signs of life, that the DNA of Jesus has come into you. In fact, I want to show you a passage in the Old Testament that's a really important passage talking about new covenant that will come. That's one of those, just like Jeremiah 31 is really important for you to know. Ezekiel 36 is really important. There in your note sheet, God is speaking through Ezekiel, talking about what will happen when Messiah comes, when this new covenant kicks into effect. And God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, which is a way of talking about forgiveness. He said, and, and you will be clean, and I will cleanse you from your impurities and from all your idols. And so we all naturally, as human beings, we tend to find something to worship in life, don't we? If we're not gonna worship God as our ultimate value, we're gonna worship something else. It may be a person, it may be a career, it may be possessions, it may be 
power. It's certainly a certain kind of pleasure. But as human beings, we are designed to worship. And so if we're not worshiping God, we are always going to find something to replace God that we believe if we give ourselves to will make us truly happy. And, and that becomes our idol. And so he says, uh, he, I will cleanse you from your impurities and from your idols. And then catch this, I will give you a new what? Heart. Okay? So in the Bible, when God talks about this new creation event, there are several different metaphors that are used to talk about the same reality. Jesus talked about being born again. Paul talks about regeneration, like with a, the, a starfish loses its arm and one's regenerated. Uh, uh, Paul talks about new creation. Here, Ezekiel talks about a new heart and a new spirit. So in the Bible, your heart is like the center of your being. It's a place of your deepest emotions, your willpower, your choices. It's who you are. And Ezekiel says, when, when this new covenant comes, that you will receive a new heart. At the core of your being, you'll have a heart transplant. And, and I'll put a new spirit in you. And I'll remove from you your heart of stone. In other words, your heart that's insensitive to God and insensitive to others, kind of a rebellious heart. And I'll put a new spirit in you. I'll, so I'll remove from you a heart of stone, and I'll give you a heart of flesh in a good sense, a tender heart towards God and others. And, and I will put my spirit in you. So we've talked about this all along, how this new covenant is all driven by the coming of the spirit, the new era of the spirit. And so that's what Ezekiel is talking about. I will put my spirit in you and then I will move you. And I love that. So it's not just willpower now changing myself. God is like supernatural. I'm gonna move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So I'm not just gonna tell you what to do. I'm gonna move you and change you and give you a new heart, okay? So, so, um, so what, what's happening here is that Paul says that when someone comes to Christ, there is a supernatural event that happens at the core of your being. And catch this, here's what I know then about you. If you're a follower of Jesus, here's what I know, that the deepest part of you, you are amazing, right? Now, now this is not like a self-help, positive, I'm not, it's like, that's not what this is about, right? It's not like I have nothing to sell, uh, there's kind of no videotapes, <laughs> right? And no power positive thinking here. What I'm saying to you is the truth the reality of truth that because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, when you came to Christ, at the core of your being, in the deepest part of you, you were changed forever. And that is the true you. That's the deepest part of you. And it's extremely important that you understand this. We'll build on this reality as we go. So 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone, and so that takes in most of us, right? So if anyone is in Christ, so not non-believers, right? But if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? A new creation. The powers of the age to come have entered into time and space. And so you still have your old body, right? Like it's so, so disappointing. But uh, we still have like a, our old body and, and we still have what the Bible calls our, our flesh, kind of, this, kind of natural pull to the dark side. But that is no longer the deepest part of us. There is, you still have the flesh, but as Paul says, you're not in the flesh. In Romans 8, you're not in the flesh, you have flesh, there's a difference. The deepest part of you, you've been regenerated. The deepest part of you, you have received the DNA of Jesus. The deepest part of you, uh, there is a new heart. There's a new drive, there's a new passion, and we can fight that or we can cooperate with that, but the deepest part of you, you have been changed, and you've been changed forever. And so uh, let's move on to number two, and we're gonna start building on that now. Number two, so the new creation then creates a new purpose. 
So, so what, what I mean by this is that before we come to Jesus, we are part of Adam's fallen race, right? And as part of Adam's fallen race, we live for ourselves by default, okay? We were not created that way. We were created to have our greatest joy to be pleasing God, right? We were created to have our greatest joy loving others. That's what was natural before the fall. But, but when we rebelled against God as a race, something went wrong, we broke, and so now by nature, we live for ourselves. Have you found this to be true in your own life? You live for ourselves. We, we live for number one. I am my own God, whatever is best for me. And so I don't seek God and pleasing God. I don't seek others. I'm, I don't love others. I use others. That's who I am before I come to Jesus, right? I'm a fallen person. Not that I can't do anything good, but it's always tinged with this self-interest, this, this, this drive. Okay, so that's who I am before I come to Christ. I'm living for myself. Now, here's what Paul says, that when you come to Jesus with his DNA comes a new, purp- new purpose. At, at the core of your being, there is a new drive, and that drive is no longer to live for yourself. That new drive is to live for Jesus, the one who died for you. And so there is this restoration that when you come to Christ, there's a new creation. And with the new creation, there's a new DNA. There's a new drive. Now, we can either fight this or cooperate with this. We'll get to it in a minute. But at the core of your being, there is a new passion, and that is to please God. And so there in your note sheet, uh, you see this in, in 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 15. It says, he died for all that those who live should no longer live for what? Is that, no, catch this. What he says, no longer. There's an assumption. Our default mode before we come to Christ is to live for whom? Ourselves. He says, but, but now that you've come to Christ at the core of what the conversion experience means is that there's a change at the core of who you are, that there's a new drive, there's a new passion, and that's to live for the one who died for you. And so, so we see this, uh, he died for those, uh, he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them. So, so catch this, this is the second half of the gospel. And often here in America, we teach a, a truncated form of the gospel, half of the gospel. And so what we tell people is if you come to Christ, he died for you so you could be forgiven, right? So would you like that offer, right? That, that's, what we, that's the offer we put on the table. And that is absolutely accurate as far as it goes. But the, the second part of the deal is he died for you so that you can what? Live for him, right? So, so that you can be changed. And this is what I'm talking about. Jesus came and died for us, not just so he could be forgiven and continue to be screwed up. He came to die for us, to set us free, so we could become the people we were created to be, people who love God and love others, and we live for something other than ourselves. And if you've ever gone through life, you know this, that people who are living for something higher or better or more important than themselves are always the happy people. Right? People who live for themselves are self-absorbed. They're unhappy people. The world revolves around them. People who live for something higher, something greater, they're always the people that have the most fulfilled lives. And for us as Christ followers, what we find is that we are called to live for the highest. We are called to live for the creator, the one who, and when we get into that realm, we begin to experience the fulfillment and the life we were created to live. 
And, and so, so the message of the gospel is not just that God, uh, that Christ died for you, but he died for you so that you can live for him. And, and, and brothers and sisters, this is why, this is what I want you to catch. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have this DNA in you. Amen. Like you don't have to create this, you have it. And I'll tell you how I can prove it. Have you found in your life that those times where you are living in disobedience, right? Like you know what God wants from you, but you're saying no. I mean, not that we've ever done that, but, right. Right. <laughs> but, but like you know God is saying, forgive that person. No, he screwed me over in court. I'm not going to forgive. Anyway, like, you know, you need to forgive that person, right? You need to turn away from sexual immorality. You need to break off that relationship. You need to rethink the way you do your finances. You need to kind of stop the way. You need to change that attitude. And so the Holy Spirit, he's calling out to us. He's saying, hey, you need to. Do, and so, so the new creation is calling out to you. It's calling out to you. But here's the thing, when the new creation calls out, it always requires a death, right? We've got to die to the old creation to rise with Christ to the, the new. And so have you ever been there? You've been there, you, you know what God wants you to do, but you're sticking your fingers in your ear going, I don't hear anything, right? Yeah, exactly, la, 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 yeah. right, yeah. Yeah, you know, wah, 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 wah. And it's like, talk to the head. You know? It's like, I can't hear you. I can't hear It's like you did when you were kids. You know, your, your mom's like, hey, could you clamp your room? Can't hear you. Yeah. And, so, um, and so have you ever noticed that when you are living in disobedience, when your priorities are out of whack, when you're not listening to the call of the new creation, have you ever noticed it doesn't matter what else in life is going well? You can have money in the bank, you can have your uh, uh, good relation, you can have all these other things, but if you are not being obedient, you are miserable, right? Is that not true? That, and you may pretend you're not for a while, but there is a gnawing emptiness, isn't there? There, there is a gnawing emptiness. In fact, if you don't have a gnawing emptiness when you're living in disobedience, I would say chances are you need to go back to the basics and say, am I truly a believer? Because it's just the mark of a believer. When we're living in disobedience, that we can be pretending. I, I can remember uh, uh, younger in my life, when I, I'd be like, like when in high school, I mean dating relationships, that they were uh, immoral, they were impure relationships. I'm, I'm a believer, right? And so, so I'm playing both sides of the fence, and, and I'm, I'm pushing down boundaries that I know are wrong, and they might be having a great time, and life might be going well, but it's just killing me inside. Right, because I, I'm living in disobedience, and that's just the way it is. It creates a split personality. That we're not, there's something wrong with us, and no matter how good things are going, there's an emptiness at the core, and over time it builds up until you say, okay, right, okay. And, and so, so, so what, what, why is that? It's because you have new DNA in you. If you didn't have new DNA in you, it wouldn't bother you. But it's because you have new DNA, it's the call of the new creation. And let's flip it around. Think of, those, think of those times in your life as a believer when Jesus is after you about something and you finally come to a place of surrender, right? You break off the relationship, you, sur you surrender the attitude, you ask for forget, whatever the thing is, right? You finally surrender. Do you find that the moment you surrender, there comes new power, there comes new peace, there comes new freedom, there comes new purpose, right? 
Like at those moments, you always feel most alive. Why? Because for once in your life, you're acting in alignment with your new nature. So, so what happens here is that, that it takes us a while to figure this out sometimes, doesn't it? Because we, we come to Christ, we have all these old habits, these old values, and so we often try to play the end against the middle. We try to walk down the middle of the street, and it takes us a while of banging our heads against the wall to, to realize that, you know what, this is an idol, and, and th- this job is an idol. This girl is an idol. This porn is an idol. This finances are an idol. That new house is an idol. Whatever it is, and it comes to a place where this is not making me happy. I'm serving this thing. I'm putting God in the back, but this is not making me happy. And we finally come to a place where we go, okay, Jesus. Right? And we die to the old creation. And what happens? We rise. And, and really, have you ever been sorry for obeying Jesus? Like, have you ever regretted that? Really, seriously. Think about it. I, I'm so sorry. I surrendered to God, and I'm just so bummed. It was just such a bad decision, right? Man, I, I gave up the porn, and it's just, oh, my gosh, I wish I was back. It's like, you don't, that's not how life works. When you surrender, joy comes. When you surrender, freedom comes. When you surrender, power comes. When you surrender, a purpose comes. That's what happens. It just happens. Why? Because you're dying to the old creation and you're rising to the new. It's just the way it works. And so here's what I want you to catch. If you're a believer, a follower of Jesus, I know this about you, that you have the true north inside of your life. The moral and spiritual compass of your life is to please God. So stop fighting it. Right? Stop fighting it. Be who you are. And this is so important for us to get clear on this because when you're in a time of temptation, it feels like the exact opposite. Like, like for example, like some of you guys, most guys I know, we've gone through issues with porn or temptation with porn, right? And so if that's an issue in your, your life, you know the pull of that. You, you know how strong that is. And so when I tell you you're a new creation, there's something deeper in you that does not feel true to you. What feels true is that, no, no, this is who I am. This is who I am. And so here's what the enemy does. The enemy comes and he says to you, I don't know why you're resisting that temptation. Okay, and you can put it in the, I'm, I'm using important, you can use, put it in where the temptation is. I don't know why you're resisting that temptation because the reality is it's who you are. And so you can resist it all you want, but sooner or later, you're gonna give in because it's who you are. Are are you with me? It's a lie. It's a lie. It's not who you are. There is something deeper. The power of Jesus, the resurrection life of Jesus, the DNA of Jesus is in you, and there is something that's calling out in your heart. The deepest passion in your life is to please God, whether you know it or not, and until you give in, and until you surrender, you will never be the person you were created to be. You will never experience joy. You'll never experience fulfillment because you were created for something great. In fact, you were created for someone great. You were created for him. And and that is your passion. That's your passion. And when you get there and when you surrender to that passion and when he captures your heart, you know what you're made for. You exist for him and you live and you breathe and you exist for him. And that becomes your power and that becomes your freedom and that becomes your joy because you have become who you were made to be. You are being who you are. You understand? 
And so our growth in Jesus is not becoming something you're not. Our growth is becoming who you are. I guess you hear this in athletics all the time. Maybe a kid who grows up inner city, getting in trouble, his life is you know, a drug-infested neighborhood, gang, whatever, and, and, and he'll tell his story. He's now in the NBA, or he's now in the NFL, and he'll tell the story of a coach, a coach that sees incredible giftedness in this person, and he'll come alongside and say, don't throw your life away, and he'll speak into that person's life, and he'll say, you have the gift to be great. Man, you've got amazing genes. Uh, not, not these kind. But, you know, the <laughs> biological guy. You, you, have, you, you have the potential to be awesome. And he calls that young man out. And what's he calling him to be? To be something he's not? No, he's calling him to be something he is. You see? And this makes a difference how you see yourself. Do you see yourself as someone who's not like Jesus and you have to just kind of force and willpower your way in? Or do you see, no, that you have his DNA, Right? You're destined to be like him. You're going to be exactly like him someday. The question is just the speed at which you're changing, right? And so, so what you need is you need someone to call out to you and say, be who you are. You're better than this. Your life matters more than this. I'm not going to let you sit there and, and, and go off and waste your life because you are better than this, right? And so that's, that's my role today is to speak in your life and say, you are better than this. Right? You are created for something great. You have the Son of God in you. You have the Spirit of God. You've been born again. And so, so the question becomes now, are we listening to the call of our new nature? And we'll come back to that later. Now, the third thing. The, the third, the third uh, lesson we learned today from this, from Paul, is that the new creation creates a new community. And so not only does this new creation change our relationship with God, and not only does it change at the core who we are in ourselves, but it changes how we see other people. It, it kind of redefines reality. Uh, and so, so before we come to Christ, we tend to see people like the world around, them, around us sees people. And, and so we've, we've talked about that. We put certain value on people, the, the beautiful people over the not so beautiful, the smart over the less than smart, the, you know, the, the educator less than, we, 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 you know, we, we kind, of, kind of categorize people, we put price tags on people. A and this happens all the time in, in, uh, in, in our culture. Uh, you know, some of you have told me, just even like with your own kids, maybe you have two young kids and one's more attractive than the other, you walk through the grocery store and, and watch how people respond to the one or, or the other. This is the way of life for us. This is the way the world works. Certain people are more valuable. But what Paul says is that when we come to Jesus, this new creation changes that because at the core, we're all amazing. And so we don't look at one another the same way as we used to, that the old prejudices and price tags, the prejudices need to be broken down and the price tags need to be changed. We, we, we should be price tag changers on one another. We, we come up and say, you know, you've been told you're, you're worth this. I'm telling you, you're not worth that. You're worth this, you see? And so we speak into each other's life and we encourage one another and we remind each other who we are and we break down walls and, and prejudices. So, see, the body of Jesus, this new community, what we experience here at Rocky Peak is supposed to be a foretaste of the next life, what it will be in the next life. That we should begin to experience the new community of the next life here and now. So all barriers should break down here. One of the things I love most when you see in the community of Jesus is where people that have no business getting along get along. 
I, I love it in the, in the community where people have no business hanging out, hang out. Uh, I love it because, because it's breaking down barriers. It's what Jesus does. He, the old creation's God, there's a new creation, and it creates new community. And so Paul says, for example, he writes about this often. Your, note, uh, your uh, homework this week in, in life groups, you'll, you'll study one passage in Colossians 3. But here's another one in Galatians 3. He says, all you who were baptized into Christ, and notice that, uh, Paul, he, he's, he's assuming they're all baptized, right? Like, like he's not saying like, hey, all you here at Rocky Peak who are baptized in the Christ, let me talk to you. Now, the rest of you, forget you, but the baptism. Because in the early church, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're baptized. It's one and the same. Like a non-baptized believer is an oxymoron because that's how you said, I want to follow Christ. So he says, all you who are baptized into Christ, you've clothed yourself with Christ. You've put on a new identity. And he says, there, so there's neither Jew nor Greek. So in the, old, in the ancient world, the, the division between Jew and Greek was huge. They wouldn't even eat dinner together. Like a Jew would not, have, would not go in the house of a Gentile. The Jew would not have dinner with a, a Gentile. And so he says, but the, no, those old, old, old prejudices are broken down. There's not slave or free. There's all social economic barriers that divide people. That's not, they're not there. They're neither male nor female. In Colossians, he says, in the passage, he says, there's no barbarian or Scythian. You know, if you're a Roman, the barbarians, you know, the barbarians when they destroyed Rome, right? They're like the uncouth. He says, those things, those don't happen anymore. He says, in the new community, old price tags are changed. Old prejudices are broken down. And so, so we come together and we begin to experience the power of the next life here in this life in our relationships. And so people that, that shouldn't hang out do hang out. And people that don't get along in the world, they do get along here. I, I remember, I was thinking last night, I was, I was teaching on this. I just remember back at my uh, previous church that there was, a, uh, there was a man there, just an amazing guy, one of our elders, and he was a lieutenant colonel in the Marine Corps, which if you've not been in the Marine Corps, it's pretty high up there. And so uh, on Sundays, when we were a very small church, just a couple hundred people this time, because uh, this was in the very early years, and, and, and the weekends, he and his wife, they love working in the nursery with the babies. So this lieutenant colonel, right, who's commanding, however, many, he, he's working in, with the nursery. And he and his wife and some other workers, they're in there, and they're, you know, taking care of the babies, changing their diapers, and so on. And so what would happen is we were near Camp Pendleton. And so you would always have these fresh recruits coming in, you know, just out of boot camp or whatever, coming in from Kansas, you know, with the shaved heads and the glare, and they're looking at like, you know, like, like, ah, oh, I'm not in Kansas anymore. And, um, and so... Uh, they come in with their young Kansas-looking wife, and, and so they kind of come in with their little Kansas baby, and, and so they're like, you know, handing over this, this and so they're, they're just like, real, this is all new. They're handing over this baby, and they don't realize this, this young recruit, this, this private, he doesn't realize he's handing over his baby to a lieutenant colonel, right? And so, of course, uh, Jim, the lieutenant colonel, very humble guy, never make a big deal about this. He's serving this, he's serving this young kid. He just loves serving. He loves seeing these guys. You know, these, you know he, he loves these young Marines. He just loves that he can be part of a serving them and taking care of their babies so they can go and spend time with God. And he just, he, he finds great joy in this. And so this works out great. And about four or five weeks later, this young recruit's walking across Camp Pendleton and he sees Lieutenant Colonel Jim Spangler who's been wiping his baby's butt uh, walking across, and, and this kid, man, he just suddenly, he about needs a new change of pants, you know what I'm saying, because he is just like, oh my, you know, it was like, they would freak out, 
you know, because it's like this lieutenant colonel's like God, you know, to him. And, and this, he's been serving him. And don't you love that? It's like that's the body of Jesus. In the body of Jesus, there are not privates and lieutenant colonels, right? There, there are no, those, that we break down distinctions, right? That, that's what the body of Christ does. And so we break down barriers between black and white and, and, uh, and, and, and brown and yellow. What are, we break them down. We break down socioeconomic barriers. You have a high-powered attorney who's mentoring a young guy that doesn't have his GED. We break down those barriers. We break them down because in Christ, there is a new creation. There's a new value system. And that's the church we want to be, right? That's the church we want to be. And it's the new creation that makes it possible. Now, uh, two questions then as we wrap this up. Two, two questions. So far, I've laid the groundwork. Uh, so far, we've talked about when you come to Jesus, there is a supernatural act that changes you at the deepest part. Part of the DNA you receive is this passion to please God as your number one priority, and that it creates a new way of relating to others, a way you can truly love others, because we, we no longer value people the same way. So two practical questions. Number one, the first question is, are you listening to the call of the new creation? Just, just like there's a call of the ocean or a call of the wild, there is a call of the new creation. When you came to Christ, you received a new heart. You received a new spirit. You received the DNA of Jesus. The spirit of Jesus lives in you, and he's calling out to you. He's calling out his husbands to love our wives and to put away our anger. He's calling out in our finances to change our priority system. He's calling out that we would serve and not be people who are served, but serve and advance the cause of Jesus. He's, causing us, he's calling us out, the new creation is calling us out to love people well on the jobs and be the best worker on our job or the best Bob boss on our job. He's calling us out to break down. All, the new creation is calling out to us at all times. And the question I have is, are you listening to that call in your life? Are you listening to the call of your new heart? Or is there an area of your life where you know God's calling? The new creation is calling, forgive, don't seek revenge. Give, don't take. Love, don't lust. The new creation is calling out to you. Is there an area where you've been sticking your fingers in your ears, then as a result, you are not flying like an eagle. You're, you're pinned up in a cage because you're violating the core of your new nature. Are, are you with me in this? Are you with yes. Is there an area where you're violating the core that, that God is calling out to you? And the second question that I have for you is are you creating the new community? You see, as followers of Jesus, we are called to create the new community, to give this world a glimpse of what the next life will be like, to, to give this world a glimpse of what life is like when Jesus is Lord. The, the church of Jesus is to be a taste of heaven. It's to be a foretaste of what's coming. And, and so we live in a very consumer culture, don't we? We live in a very consumer culture, and so it's very tempting to think of church with a consumer mindset. To, to come in here and you choose a church based on, do you like the pastor? Is he funny? Does he have shoes? You know, whatever, uh, uh, whatever else is important in your world, right? 
So, so we, you know, is he too obnoxious? You know, so we choose a pastor and we choose and well, the music, too loud, too soft, right kind, whatever. And, you know, what about children's ministry? That's something for my kids. So we, we kind of come into a church with a consumer mindset. And there's nothing wrong with that in the sense that we're all wired differently. There's different churches for different people. And so you need to find a church that you can connect to. You sense God's speaking to you and you sense God again. And then that's, that's good. But, you know, so often it's easy to fall into a consumer mindset where we just, we find a seat and we just sit and we, we, we just, we don't really get involved. And, and what, what's happening is we're violating the call of, our new, of this new creation because we're called to be not consumers, we're called to create community. And, and so in order to create community, we have to be in community. We have to be in smaller groups. We have to be in live groups or, or some other kind of smaller section where we know one another. And there in the new community, we have to move past our old prejudices and we have to call each other out. You know, like that coach calling out that inner city kid, call it, be who you are. We, we need to be speaking to each other's life. We need to be saying, hey, hey man, why, why are you treating your wife like that? I don't know if you realize this, but do you realize how you're putting her down in, in group and you're humiliating her and, and you're better than that? Like, that's not who you are. And God's called you to, to love your wife. We need to speak into each other's lives. Words of challenge, words of encouragement. We need to be calling each other out, right? They're coming alongside. I need to hear from you. You need to hear from me. And then we need to create a community where we're breaking past our old prejudices. Are you doing that in your life? Are you learning to develop friendships and, and brothers' relationships with people that are different from you? Right? Are you expanding that in, in your life? Are you learning to love people who are different from you? you? Are you breaking down those old barriers, the old prejudice? Are you learning to change price tags? You see, that's the church we need to be. Are we living new creation uh, reality? And this is so important. It's so important that we, we do, that we learn to speak into each other's lives with great uh, uh, power uh, because this is how it happens. And so, uh, and so today, uh, this is the creation event. This is the new creation in Christ that, that you have been changed at the core, that you have a passion to please God, that you'll never be fulfilled unless you surrender to that, and that we're called then to come and to create this new community where we're loving and changing price tags and speaking powerfully. And, and that's what this church, church at Rocky Peak, we, we don't have any control over any other church, Right? but we have control over this church. We have a control whether we are gonna follow Christ. We have a control whether we are gonna be a new creation community. We can control that, right? And so are you in? Are you in? Do you wanna be part of that new creation that shows the world what life is like when Jesus is in charge? Amen? Amen. 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 Let's pray. God, as we come before you, we just thank you for the reality of the new creation, that this is, not, this is not fairy tale, this is not wishful thinking, it's not positive confession, it is the truth, that if anyone is in Christ, which takes in all of us who are believers, that there is a new creation, that at the core of our being, we've been changed. And so God, help us to embrace that reality, that what you say about us is the deepest truth. And help us then to listen to the call of the new creation, that we would respond to you, that we would live for you. We would stop living for ourselves. We'd surrender to your leadership. We'd experience the freedom, the power that, that comes from that. 
And then together, we would break down barriers and we would create a new community here where old prejudices go and price tags are changed. And we are speaking with power and encouragement into each other's life, challenging ourselves to move to a new level of new creation reality. And God, as we come now and worship, as we sing about beautiful things, how you create beautiful things out of ashes, God, we pray that you would restore our hearts, you would continue this process of transformation. And as we bring you our offering, God, we pray that you would use these gifts to fund a movement that is a new creation movement, expressing new creation realities, bringing people into the reality of new creation in their lives. People who right now, there's a veil over their eyes, but for a few weeks from now, a few months from now, a year from now, five years from now, they'll be here with us. They'll be here because of the gifts that we're giving today. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen. Would you stand with me as we worship? Well, there you go, new creation. That's what it's about. It changes everything. And that's what we've been learning in this series, that the death and resurrection of Jesus is not this isolated event in human history. It, it is the hinge point of human history. It changes everything. It opens up the powers of the age to come, coming into our lives here and now through the death and resurrection with Christ. As we die with him, we rise with him to a new life. And so may that be your experience this week. And may you be listening to the, to the call of the new creation whether it's in your, your marriage, your job, your personal life, your, your career, whatever it is, your finance, just be, be listening to the call. What is calling out to you from, from this new nature, this new DNA, this new spirit of Jesus that's inside of you? What is he calling out? And as we listen and as we follow, uh, we begin to experience the power of the age to come in the here and now being ch- changed, transformed to be like him. And so uh, may that be your experience this week. Now, next week, we're going to continue on uh, this journey. Uh, Next week, Paul is going to talk about the price that God paid. Like, how does this new creation event, uh, it had to be purchased. There was a price that had to be paid. And so next week, we're we're going into one of the passages of the Bible that is one of the most, very most important passages in all the Bible because it spells out that kind of what, what God did to pull off the, the, the ability to do this new creation, to, to earn the right to do that. And so um, next week, I would encourage you to read ahead, read through the end of chapter 5 through chapter 6 and verse 1. That'll be our passage next week as we talk about the power of redemption next week. So after the service, if you need some prayer about anything in your life, we always have a ministry at the back called the Prayer Corner, back at my, my far left. Uh, back, there's a light on. You can see it when you, when you get back there. And, uh, and so you, you can head on back there. But until uh, next week, may, may the power of the new creation be the power that you experience in your life as you surrender to the call, the call of the new character, the deepest part of you. May you become more and more this week of who you are. You truly are in the deepest core of your being. God bless you. Love you guys. See you then. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.